Hi, I'm Corey Litzenberger from CGLTax.ca, and this is Brainstorming Plus Tax. Even if you do everything by the letter of the tax law, can you pass the smell test? A June 2018 Federal Court of Appeal ruling might make it difficult. For the non-tax nerds, i.e. normal people listening to this, GAR is the General Anti-Avoidance Rule under Section 245 of the Income Tax Act, more commonly referred to in tax circles as the smell test. In other words, even if you do everything by the letter of the law, if it looks and smells funny, the government might not agree with you and still reassess you. To the tax nerds listening, even though I'll be simplifying this article, there will be some legislative references to keep you happy. So this smell test brings us to the Pomerleau versus Canada case that was issued in French on June 29, 2018 by the Federal Court of Appeal. Now, I've only used a Google Translate to figure out what they were getting at, but to put this in context, the transactions that they are looking at occurred in 2004 and 2005. These are items that are 13, 14 years old that were common practice among many tax practitioners back then, so I can only imagine how busy the courts are going to get. Let's take a high-level approach to see how we got here. The taxpayer, Pomerleau, and his family sought tax advice on how to transfer a $3 million family-owned business from the parents to their children. There are many provisions that will allow us to do this on a tax-deferred, not tax-free basis, such as Section 86, 85, 51, lots of different types of freezes that we can do, dividend planning, holding companies. There's a whole potpourri of tax structures that we can create. Now, the advisors had developed a plan to pass on the family business on this tax-deferred basis, but they had also thought they had discovered a way to reduce the amount of that deferred tax as well. So let me give you a little bit of layman technical background. In tax planning with company shares, we have two types of adjusted cost bases, ACB, referred to as hard ACB and soft ACB. Now hard ACB is what tax practitioners love because it is when tax was fully paid on the transfer or was acquired from someone not related to you. Soft ACB is when you have bought the shares from a related person and that person had used part of their lifetime capital gains deduction on the sale. Hard ACB can be planned with to eventually convert into a shareholder loan without triggering a dividend under 84.1 of the Income Tax Act, whereas soft ACB cannot. So what happened? In 1995, the family started to reflect on the continuity of the business. Several decisions were taken, and one of those decisions was that the business would be divided among the original shareholders' four children. Two daughters obtained part of the business, which consisted of real estate, and the two sons obtained the other part, which consisted of the construction business. As part of the transfer of this family business, which had been in the works for over 10 years, a series of transactions was undertaken in 2004 and 2005. One of the transactions was the redemption by Pomerleau's holding company of its shares. The ACB and the paid-up capital of these shares totaled $2 million. If the ACB was considered hard, then Pomerleau could sell the shares to a new company for $2 million promissory note, have the old company redeem those shares, pay the $2 million to the new company, because intercorporate dividends from connected corporations usually don't create tax, with some exceptions, then use that $2 million to pay out the promissory note. 
This is similar to what is done as a pipeline transaction for deceased persons after capital gains have been triggered on debt. Now, if the ACB was soft, then the transactions above would actually cause a taxable dividend under 84.1 of the Income Tax Act, and the accountant should probably get a lawyer because they're about to be sued. So how did we get to $2 million of paid-up capital and adjusted cost base? In 1989, likely under fears that the capital gains deduction may be eliminated in the next federal election, Pomerleau, his mother and his sister, all increased their ACB and their operating company shares utilizing a provision of the Act under Section 85 that, with a lot of complexity, allows you to sell shares to a corporation in exchange for more shares. If done properly, you can do this with your own corporation and trigger capital gains on purpose in order to use up your lifetime capital gains deduction under 110.6, as was the case here. Now, some of these shares were eventually transferred to Pomerleau from his mother and sister in taxable events, and as a result, the shares that Pomerleau had at this point, some had soft and some had hard adjusted cost basis. Let's fast forward 15 years. So, those previously mentioned shares of the operating company were eventually transferred to the holding company. In 2004, as the sole shareholder of the holding company, Pomerleau wanted to split this $3 million company among his children. He had $1 million in soft ACB with only $15,000 of paid-up capital, which is the tax-free amount you can get back from the shares, tied up in what's called Class G preferred shares, and had at least $2 million in value of Class A common shares with only $1 million in hard ACB. Now, I know I threw a lot of numbers at you, but bear with me. here. On January 3rd, 2005, the holding company repurchased the $1 million of Class G shares that the taxpayer owned. This triggered a deemed dividend under 84.3, and this was taxable to Pomerleau himself. When a deemed dividend occurs, the shares are considered to be sold for zero proceeds. Since there was originally adjusted cost base of $1 million on those shares, this would be a capital loss. Now, 43.6a deems the loss to be zero, since Pomerleau is affiliated with his holding company because he still owns the Class A shares. Since it would not be fair to pay tax on a dividend for something with adjusted cost base, meaning someone likely paid tax on it before, the Act transfers this capital loss that has been denied to the adjusted cost base of existing shares owned. In this case, the adjusted cost base moved over to the Class A shares. So this increased the adjusted cost base from a million to two million. So far, so good, right? All that was left was to create the pipeline transaction, so Pomerleau transferred his Class A shares to a new corporation using Section 85 for new shares with $2 million in cost base, paid-up capital, and fair market value. These shares were then repurchased and eventually paid out $2 million to Pomerleau with no additional tax. So how was the ACB cooked? Was it soft or hard? According to the transactions in the Income Tax Act, the adjusted cost base would have been considered hard. Enter the Canada Revenue Agency and the smell test. In order for something to be considered abusive under the general anti-avoidance rule in Section 245, there must have been, one, a tax benefit, two, an avoidance transaction, and three, a misuse or abuse of the Income Tax Act. Now, Pomerleau's position, in sort of simple terms, is that it was hard-adjusted cost base under the Act, and so there was no misuse. Although there might have been an avoidance transaction and a taxable benefit, 
there was no misuse or abuse of the Income Tax Act. The rules are what they say they are. The stop-loss rules of 43.6 converted the cost basis from soft to hard. Section 85 allows for transfers to another corporation, and hard ACB can be used to create paid-up capital. 84.1 only creates a dividend for shares that have been redeemed for more than their paid-up capital. So although there was a taxable benefit, the motivation for the transactions was to assist in the transfer of the family business. No misuse of the act occurred. Rather, to the contrary, the act operated as it was written. The government's position? Yeah, it stinks. So even though you follow the law, we don't like it and we think it should be treated like this. So we're going to apply GAR under Section 245 because we think it smells funny. So at a lower court ruling of the Tax Court of Canada, Justice Favreau concluded that the GAR was applicable in this case since Section 84.1 of the Act prevents taxpayers from undertaking surplus stripping transactions on a tax-free basis. In the Tax Court of Canada's Justice's opinion, this is what Pomerleau had done in this case because the series of transactions resulted in the avoidance of the purpose of Section 84.1. More specifically, Justice Favreau opined that the effect of Paragraph 43.6 of the Act permitted the taxpayer to increase the paid-up capital of the shares in a subsequent rollover and therefore to avoid the application of Section 84.1 of the Act. As a result, this planning had the effect of circumventing, in an abusive manner, the purpose of Section 84.1 of the Act. In other words, to prevent surplus stripping on a tax-free basis. So as a result, the Tax Court of Canada maintained the Minister's initial assessment as it determined that the General Anti-Avoidance Rule applied to the series of transactions and so this taxable dividend of roughly a million dollars had to be attributed to the taxpayer. So now we go to the Federal Court of Appeal. Now in paragraph 78 of their unanimous ruling, the Federal Court of Appeal asked, what is the purpose and spirit of section 84.1? Now upon analysis, the court decided that the purpose and intent of this provision is to prevent amounts that have not been taxed to a related person from being distributed tax-free. So even though the letter of the law was followed by Pomerleau, the court ruled against him in deciding that the intent and the spirit of 84.1 was avoided, and so the general anti-avoidance rule under Section 245 applied. Since it was a unanimous ruling, the taxpayer is not able to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada as a matter of right, so we will wait to see if Pomerleau attempts to apply for a leave to appeal and if it is granted. In translation of all this, the smell test says the transactions stink like garbage. That's about as good as tax puns are going to get. So even though you follow the letter of the law, be wary of getting too cute with the Income Tax Act and the CRA applying the general anti-avoidance rule. And with that, for CGL Strategic Business and Tax Advisors, I'm Corey Litzenberger. Thanks for listening.